they are a very, very special couple. If you haven't had a chance to meet him, he's in the parking lot every single Sunday, and she is one of our coaches in our dream team with our kids' ministry. So if you haven't had a chance to meet them, just just trying to figure out, did you hear some of the things that he said and what she said? It's kind of cool because she's like, well, you need a biblical-based marriage. Love covers all things. And she, like, she goes into the scripture, and he's like, I don't know. I thought she weighed 250 pounds, but when she showed up and she went, I was like, this, you know what I'm saying? He actually thought that he was at the wrong house, but he was going to just kind of roll with it because she was expecting it. Did you hear that? The other thing is, is she's out on a tractor lifting him up in a front end loader. I don't know about that. So, but, uh, you know, the thing about this is, and the reason that we're showing this is because there's some wisdom that is transferred from people that have been married 30 plus years, 40 plus years. There's some wisdom that is transferred in that knowledge. And some of the things that they were saying, sometimes I believe that we don't slow down and we listen to what the generation that has gone before us, what they have to say about our relationship. So just, just you know, just a wonderful couple, but at the same time, wisdom. I, I strongly encourage you to sit down with your parents or your grandparents and talk to them about what it takes to stay married. We're going, we're going to continue this series called Relationship Status. Um, Last week, we dove into it, we started it, and I actually specifically talked about, and we're talking to husbands and wives, but right now, let's kick it off with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Bless us and speak to us today, and may we be receptive to what you would say to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, this just keeps getting better. Now, whether you're single, or you're married, you're divorced... Um, it's complicated, whatever your relationship status is, I believe that this series, that, that the Lord may want to speak to you about something because this is information that we can use wherever we are in our lives. Now, this past week, we invested, if you're married, we invested in our marriages, and uh, we took what we call, you heard Jordan say something about it, the seven-day challenge. Remember what the seven-day challenge was? If you were here last week, we were going to be uh, as married couples only, we were going to be very intimate for seven days. Do you know what I mean by when I say that? Be intimate for seven days? Are you with me? Okay. So seven-day challenge, I hope that that worked out. If you weren't here last week, maybe you can implement that into your marriage this week. We're just giving you permission to do that. I had some guys approach me that, that were in the church and said, hey, will you, got, will you issue a, like a 21-day challenge for our, our church? So you just do whatever you want to do, Okay. The other thing that we, we challenge you to do is we want you to, be, we want you to do something very special for your spouse every single day. Every day. Do something unusually kind to your spouse or for your spouse every single day. Here's the idea. I know that this raises some issues in marriages. If, you, if there's bitterness, you're not getting along, you're having trouble in your marriage, I know that these things are going to raise some issues and maybe you don't want to be a part of, maybe you're having trouble with intimacy. Maybe you don't want your spouse to do anything kind for you. Here's the deal. We're not trying to get you to do something or force you to do something that you don't want to do. The idea is to bring, or to, is to, is to, bring to the forefront of your life your marriage. A lot of times our marriage gets pushed to the back of our lives. So what we're trying to do is for 30 days invest in your marriage and we want you to make your marriage a priority for the next 30 days. That's what we're trying to do. And wherever that is, wherever you are in your marriage, start somewhere and take a few small steps, if you will, and let God speak to you and open up your hearts to receive what God might want to say to you. Amen? 
So that's, that's where we are. Uh, we began talking to couples last week about what, we, what we're calling marriage builders and marriage busters. If you do this, these things in your marriage, it's going to build your marriage. But if this is eliminated from your marriage, it's going to be a buster. And last week we talked about commitment, that every marriage must be based on commitment. Marriage is not based on love. Marriage is not based on happiness. Hopefully you have both of them because that brings a fulfilled marriage. But marriage is based on commitment. It is the foundation. Successful mar- Every successful marriage is based on commitment. People stay together for 40 years because they decided to. Not because they felt like it every single day. Not because they never had any problems. They decided to stay together. And I, I like what Miss Kathy said, that, that uh, not every marriage can be saved. But if you're with somebody today... Commit and hang on for life because that is God's plan. Well, today we're continuing with this, marriage busters, marriage builders, and we're going to talk about the characteristic of honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. The Bible has a lot to say about honor. The Bible talks a lot about honoring God. It talks about honoring your father and mother. The Bible talks about how we are to honor the authorities that we have in our culture, that we are to honor government, that there is, there is a spirit of honor that is supposed to come from the life of a believer. But I want to tell you something. There is not such a high priority on honoring marriages in our culture. Have you noticed that? That there is not a, a high level of honor that is placed on marriages. People... People say, well, marriage is highly overrated, or I don't need a piece of paper to, to be committed to a person. And, but the Bible says in Hebrews that we are supposed to honor marriage. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that marriage is to be honored by everyone. People that are single should honor marriage. People that are married should honor marriage because that is the highest level of commitment that anybody can have. Say, well, you know, I'm, I'm committed to this person that I'm with, and I don't need to be married. No, listen, there's a difference between exclusivity. It's, there, that, that's just being exclusive. If you're with somebody but you're not married, you're exclusive with this person. But really, what does it take to separate? You just change your mind and get your jacket back. That's all it takes. You're exclusive, but you're not committed. But marriage is a bigger deal because everybody shows up and you vow before God and you vow before the people and you swap rings and then you got you, you to gotta say these vows and you got to say, you know, the only way that we're getting out of this is one of us is dying, basically, right? Until death do us part. And then you got to sign something. You got to go down to the courthouse. It becomes official. It's a license. So it's not so easy to say, well, I just changed my mind. So the highest level of commitment for, new, for two people is, is marriage. But it must be honored. You know, the, the Greek word for honor is tamaho, which means value. Honor for your spouse is derived from how much value you have for your spouse. Are you with me? I honor you Because of the value that I have. I have a high level of value for you. Therefore, I honor you. And also, we have to understand that honor is a choice. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice. It's not something that you necessarily, hopefully you have to earn it. But but honor is about me and what I give to you. Now, let's talk about honor within the context of marriage. Ephesians 5 and 21 
says this, Ephesians 5 and 21. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, uh, hold on. All right. Ephesians 5 and 21 says, and this is within the context of marriage, husbands and wives. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your own husbands and everything. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to, sp to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united. They become one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say to you, a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. I love the Bible. I love the Bible because it doesn't try to be politically correct. Can you see how that might be a little bit controversial in our culture today? It doesn't pull any bones. It doesn't care what you think about it. It doesn't care how we've evolved, if you will, over the last 2,000 years, but at the same time, if you don't understand and study the word within the context of why it was written, you'll get this twisted. So what I want to do is I'm going I'm to back up and I'm going to break this down and I want to talk to you how and to whom this was written and show you why it was written in this way and hopefully at, on the other side of this we'll have a greater understanding of this verse because a lot of times we get raised eyebrows when we read this scripture. This, first of all, was written to the church of Ephesus. This was written 2,000 years ago to a very pagan society. And what was going on in this city, I believe that Ephesus was about 200,000 people, and it was known for certain activities. Specifically, it was known to be the, to be the temple of Artemis, which was a goddess of fertility. They had this large statue. When you entered this city, most people from all over that part of the world would go at certain times of the year to take part in certain festivities. And as you walked and as you approached this enormous temple that had like 90 feet pillars, it was just one of the ancient wonders of the world. You walked through this temple and you walked through this temple and on the other side was this Colosseum of about, that would seat 25,000 people. So at certain time of the, uh, times of the year, they were, there were certain kinds of activities and festivities, and people would go and celebrate this goddess. And also, they, they would take part in certain activities if, if, that were sexual and sensual that was wrapped around the worship of this goddess. So this city, Ephesus, was known for this activity. It's kind of like this. What is Las Vegas known for? It's, it's known for a lot of different things. We call it what city? We call, we call it what? It's called Sin City. It's called Sin City because of the activities that surround. I would say that Ephesus was very similar 
to, you know, without the slot machines maybe, but it was very similar to being known for certain things, certain activities that people would, from all over the part of the world would go and take part in. So think of this church and think of the Apostle Paul as he steps in and he plants this church in the city of Ephesus with all of this activity. It was a very young church. I think at this point it might have been about 10 years old, something like that, maybe 20 years old, and it was growing enormously. It was a very large church. Very soon, or possibly at this point, uh, Timothy, his apprentice, was pastoring this church, and they didn't have a Bible in those days. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter inspired from God. So one of the elders, possibly Timothy, walks to the front of the church, and he reads this letter. And this letter has five or six chapters. Well, we have our Bible in chapters, but it was just one long letter from the Apostle Paul. And it's around certain topics of what it was to be a church in this environment. And as I was reading the book of Ephesians, by the way, I strongly recommend that in your quiet time this, this week to read the book of Ephesians because it's very interesting. But listen to the topics and see how these topics still apply to us today. First of all, in chapter 1, basically what chapter 1 does is, is that God has revealed his eternal, mysterious plan through Christ Jesus. It was a plan that has been hidden for, for centuries, but now through Christ Jesus, because Jesus has come to the earth, God has revealed his plan. That's basically, in a nutshell, chapter 1. Chapter 2, it talks about has God, how God has saved you, he has gifted you, he has equipped you, and he has placed you to be a part of his church. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 that God has a plan for you in the church, and God wants to display his glory, and God wants to bless the, the world, and also, God wants to show the world how to live through the church, chapter 3. Chapter 4 is basically starts out like this. You need to walk worthy of this calling. As you're part of the church and God has a plan for you, you need to walk worthy of that calling. You also need to walk worthy of the, the blessings of God and the talents that God has put on the inside of you. So that's the mandate. And then he breaks in to... to certain Christian characteristics, like you need to be humble because we're examples to the world the church is. You need to learn to be humble. We need to walk in humility, different Christian characteristics. You need to be peaceful. We don't need to be fighting and there doesn't need to be strife within the body of Christ. We need to be united to one another. We need to get rid of sexual immorality in the church, even though it's all around us in this secular society with this, with this goddess temple in our city. So basically, the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the church that was saying, in view of the task at hand, the city that needs to be reached, and a world that needs to be changed, in view of eternity that is at stake, and the mandate and the calling and the commission that God has placed on you as an individual and on a church, we need to be the church now more than ever. How relevant is that even today? So that's, that's the context of this scripture. So halfway through the fifth chapter of Ephesians, after he's addressed the church corporately, he begins to talk to families. And he begins to talk to families about their role and what, looks, what, what this looks like as being incorporated within the church. That, that, that a church is only as strong as its individual families. So with that in mind... With that in mind, that's, that's where he goes from here. He starts talking to families, and then he specifically talks to husbands and wives. You see, when we read this within the context of what God is trying to do, it brings understanding to, to what he was saying here in these verses. Within the context of a family, within the context of a church, 
within the context of a church that's trying to reach its city. As we begin to understand that, we begin to understand why he's even talking to the behaviors of husbands and wives. So let's back up and let's break it down. The 21st verse, Ephesians, the fifth fifth chapter. He says, submit to one another out of reference or honor for Christ. So we see at the beginning here that marriage is a relationship and it's all about honor, but it's a relationship where you first honor God. Did you hear that? I don't want you to miss that. That it's not just about, it's about honoring each other, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but it begins with your attitude and your honor towards God. As I begin to understand and honor God, that gives me the ability to take this next step and honor the relationships in my life. You see, God has roles and characters, and this, and his, he's got a plan for marriage, and it starts with honoring him. So remember this. Marriage was not our idea. We didn't come up with marriage. This was the very beginning. Jesus, or our Lord God, designed and created marriage at the very beginning, and he created men and women and gave them certain behaviors and roles in the marriage. It was not our idea. Therefore, he knows what an amazing marriage looks like. You believe that? He knows what it looks like. And also, God has an eternal plan to fulfill through your marriage. Now, I hope you're happy. I hope you're excited to be married. I hope you have all the romance. I hope you have all the passion. And I hope that you're fulfilled through your marriage. That's, that's, I, I want God's best for you. But God has a plan for you in that. But God has a plan for your marriage that goes beyond you. He has a plan for the people around you. He has a, a plan for the people that don't know Christ in the, in the peripheral part of your life. He has a plan for those people that he wants to work through your marriage. He has a plan for you for your marriage, but he has a plan beyond your marriage. He has a plan for you, hopefully, to have kids and to grow up Christ followers, passionate Christ followers. He has a plan for you to send them out into the world. One of these days, they get married, and they multiply their their, their commitment to God. It goes beyond just you being happy and being fulfilled. Look at your neighbor and say, not everything's about you. I'm tired of you thinking that. Don't say that to him. As you begin to understand that, as you begin to understand that marriage begins with honoring God, you begin to grasp, okay, there might be something in here, and it helps you deal with the fact that the things I'm about to read to you might be a little bit controversial. Because... I know the things that I'm talking about might seem at first to, to go against what we're taught in our culture, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not conformed to this world. I'm transformed into what God has for me in my life. Even in my personal life, I read things in the Bible that I wish weren't there. You ever read something in the Bible that you like, I just wish I could tear that page out and throw it away. There are things that I want to do that the Bible says that I can't do. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I, that I want to do that the Bible says I'm not supposed to do, okay? But what I do is I submit to God, and I'm not perfect, but I submit to God, his, to his will for my life because he knows what is best for me. And by doing that, God makes me a better man. God's word helps me to grow up spiritually, and I'm a better person, and I'm not just thinking about myself. Are you with me? 
So that's the idea of submitting to God. And because if you don't first submit to God, your will, if you don't submit to God and say, God, you know, whatever your word says for my life, you're not going to be able to receive what I'm about to read to you. Are you with me? All right. So first submit to God. Next, I'm sorry. First, we honor God. Marriage is a place where we honor God. Number two, marriage is a place where we honor each other. How do you honor each other? Through mutual submission. Everybody say mutual submission. That's how we honor each other within the context of marriage. I'm going to read it again. Submit to one another out of reference to God. Listen, just because two people have stayed together for 40 years does not mean they have a great marriage. That means they're committed, and that's very admirable. Chances are their kids turned out wonderful if they stayed together no matter what. But just because somebody stayed together for 40 years does not mean they have a great marriage. You know what it might mean? It might mean that they're just stubborn. It might mean that they just don't have nowhere else to go. It just might mean that they, it, you know, it's too big of a hassle not to live with you anymore. It might mean that we're going to stay married for spite. I'm staying married to you for spite. And, for, uh, you know, I'm going to make you miserable for the rest of your life. And I'm staying with you no matter what. Man, I don't want to be in a marriage like that. Do you? I want all of God's best. I want everything. I want everything in a bag of chips. You know what I'm saying? I want love, romance for your marriage. I want blessing and prosperity. I want you to raise great kids. I want you to, I want you to grow old and, and be so happy. I want you to be like, like, like the Frenches that are walking around branching, holding hands. People say, do y'all just get married? I want it to be like that. But God has a plan, and I want God's best for you. I don't just want to get married. I, don't, I just don't want to get married for the sake of getting married. Yeah, man, I scored, finally. Finally got somebody. I heard a story of a, of a bachelor man that was in his 60s, that it was a billionaire, that he was getting married. He was marrying this beautiful woman that was in her 20s, and his best friend come up to him, his best man come up to him at the wedding and said, man, how did you, you're, man you're 60 years old. How in the world did you get such a, a beautiful woman? How did you do that? And he said, well, first of all, I'm rich. Really, yeah. Second of all, I lied about my age. You did? What did you tell her you were? Did you tell her you were 50 or what? He said, no. I told her I was 89. Think about it for a second. <laughs> there are a lot of people that get married and stay married for a lot of different reasons, but I want God's best. Don't you want God's best? So how do we do it? We do it through mutual submission. Honor the marriage. How does, how does this look? What does this look like? First of all, we have to understand that marriage is sacrifice. It is sacrifice. Everybody say marriage is sacrifice. If you think of the word sacrifice in the Old Testament, they would have an altar where they would sacrifice the very best lamb. It was, sacrifice was an act of worship in the Old Testament. You took something that, that, you, that was good, but you sacrificed for the greater good. Or you sacrificed something that is good for the sake of something wonderful. Let me tell you something. Being single is good. Being married is better. I can, I can testify of that. Being single, there is an incredible amount of freedom. You get to wait, you wake up and you don't have to think, what does that person want to do? You wake up and you think, okay, what, I'm going to, what am I going to get accomplished? There is an amount of freedom. You can focus on certain areas in your life. And that's wonderful. But you can only go so far riding solo, right? So being married, that marriage is wonderful because it is a place where you build a life that you, you build a life with someone. You experience true intimacy. You have kids. You have grandkids. You leave a legacy. You walk through life with a partner, this, this person. You, you experience 
you, this, this thing that the Bible says calls, called a union. You experience something that nobody else can experience unless they're married. The two become one flesh, a spiritual bonding. You build a dream together. But something has to be sacrificed in order for that to happen. What do you sacrifice? Your identity? No, you don't sacrifice your identity. But you do have to sacrifice your will. You have to sacrifice your will. Listen carefully to me as I go further. That any discussion of submission, mutual submission, has to be talked about within the context of Genesis 2 and 24 where it says that they become one flesh. The relationship and what I'm about to read to you, it is not about, it, it's not, this does not take place within any other relationship, just within the marriage relationship. This, this, this term to becoming one, or Ephesians, when it talks about mutual submission, it's only for marriage. Now, here's the deal, because a lot of people get this twisted, and I've heard people misuse this context. The Bible does not say that for women to submit to men, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that, that men are better than women. There, that's not in the Bible. In fact, if, if people think, a lot of people will think that. It talks about it talks about this level of authority and submission from wives to husbands with, only within the context of being one in flesh. But it's not about women being submissive to men. Listen to Galatians 3 and 26. It says, for you all are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer, listen carefully to this next verse. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. This is talking about race. Think about how revolutionary this was 2,000 years ago, that there is no race better than another race. Slave or free, this is talking about economics. Look at this, male or female. For people who think that, that God has put, you know, God has this difference of inequality of women, they don't understand the Bible. This, if you have any question about that, it was put in Scripture in black and white. That, that God has not put men and women in, in, in a separate category. That's, that's very, very powerful. That's a passage of equality for men and women. Uh, mutual submission is the key, not only to staying married, but to have a fulfilled marriage. So let me back up real quickly and break down this scripture. In Ephesians 5 and 21, it says this, uh, out of submission, you're, you're to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. But then it goes on to say this, what it looks like for wives and what it looks like for husbands. In the 22nd verse, it says this. For wives, this means submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Then he goes on to talk about how he is the savior of the body. And, and the glory of her is, is represented as, as he or as she submits herself to her husband. The word submit gets a bad rap. Because when you think of submit, you think of a, of a servant. But listen carefully to me. It's not about taking something from you or forcing you to do something. A lot of times this is as far as we get, as far as women, because once we read this, we think, well, the Bible is outdated. I was, uh, I was in my house. I was with my family the other day, and, and uh, the way it works, about every Sunday we go, and I cook from the crock pot, and we go straight home, and, and we eat lunch. And, and when we got done, I... I looked at my middle daughter, who is, I don't know, a little bit mean, but I said, hey, babe, would you, would you, you know, would you mind cleaning the kitchen? 
And she just looked at me and raised her eyebrow and said, why? Because I'm a woman? That's woman's work? You, you didn't say anything? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I cooked everything. You ate for free. I cooked everything in our house. Whoever cooks, the other person cleans. You need to calm down just a little bit. You know, that's, that's this, because this verse has been taken out of context, we have a little bit of that going on. But listen, it, 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 submission is not about taking something or forcing someone to do something. It's about giving up something as a gift for the sake of something better. It's about somebody giving something and offering something as a gift in order or for the sake of something better. And God is a God of authority. The family is authority. And God designed man to lead. That is his role. It's not because he's better. It's not because he's smarter. It's not because, you know, not even because he's strong. It's not because of that. It's just because that was God's plan. God's plan for man to lead. Does he blow it? He absolutely blows it. We blow it as men. The men drop the ball a lot. We absolutely drop the ball a lot. Absolutely. Is she capable to lead? She is absolutely capable to, capable to lead. She is very capable to lead her family. In fact, in a lot of ways, she is more capable than he is. So it's not about one being better. It's that God has designed it for that. It's her, but it's her choice. She doesn't have to, but if she does, if she lets go of her ability to lead, or if she lets go and says, I'm not going to control this situation, I'm going to give that out of, out of honor to God, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to allow this to take place and do this, and do this marriage according to God's plan, the marriage grows. Do you know why the marriage grows and the marriage is strengthened? Because he's growing as a man in his leadership role. And that's what you want. It's kind of like this, marriage is, is like going on a trip. Like, two, like a man and a woman going on a trip. Both of them have the ability to drive. She might even be a better driver. But God says, okay, just for this trip, I want him to drive. I want him to drive because I'm going to expect and I'm going to hold him accountable for this journey. I want him, I want him to be the protector and I also want him, I'm going to, after this is all over, I'm going to bring him into the accountability for getting his family from point A to point B. And if she lets go and sits back and says, you know what, I'm going to let you drive. I, I, I'm going to ride, and I'm, I'm going to help you get to, where, get to where we need to go. If she will do that, the trip becomes more enjoyable. But if she says, forget it, I'm going to drive, starts grabbing the wheel, that's going to cause problems. I'm taking over the role. In fact, I'm going to drive. You sit on that side, and I'm going to drive. If she does that, Women and men are different, but here's what I found out in my experience of dealing with men and women. If she does that, you know what he does? He doesn't fight with her. He'll just go, cool, you drive. I'm going to sit over here and chill. I might crash a little bit. Hey, I'm going to play with the kids. In fact, I'm going to act like a kid. So instead of everybody going and, 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 and her helping him or whatever, what you got is you got mom driving and you got a car full of kids. Let me tell you something, ladies. You want him to drive. You want him to drive. Because if he's not driving, he's worthless. Are you with me? God created man to lead. And if he's not leading, he's worthless. And here's the deal, ladies. It's your choice. It's your choice and it's his privilege that you give him this right. And in return, your man grows stronger in his role to lead. 
I've heard ladies say before, my husband, he just won't lead. He will not be the spiritual leader of my home. Most of the ladies who have said that to me before are kind of like alpha females. They're really strong leaders. And what happens is, is they won't, they won't, I mean, what, what happens is they won't release that control because she's a better leader than he is. And she's got to, I mean, she can't let go because he keeps messing up. She's like, oh gosh, I got to fix. But listen, if you will let him make his mistakes, if you will just say, okay, we're going to do this God's way, you will grow him as a leader. He won't be there today, but he'll be there soon in the future. And also, that's God's plan. If you believe that, say amen. Real quickly, I'm going to talk to husbands. This is only going to take 60 seconds. <laughs> I'm kidding. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of, of God's word, he will do this to present to her himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. The Bible says, go back, to, go back to that verse at the very beginning. For husbands, this means to love your wives. We get that as guys. We get love your wives. I got it. I got 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind, love is patient. I got all that. But the standard is an issue. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. That stings a little bit. The standard is, that's, that's just too much. That, it, it feels like it's too much. And, and see, the, here's the deal. A lot of times in this scripture we get hung up on the wives submit to your husbands that we forget that the standard for which a guy is supposed to love his wife is to give up his life to the point of giving up life. Physically, it means that. It's metaphorically, but it's also physically. It's kind of like this. Don't worry, ladies. In a situation, in a dangerous situation, where there's got to be a choice, the choice has already been made. You can look at your husband and say, take him and be completely confident because that's what the Bible says. The thing about the, the knight in shining armor is that he's a warrior, and from time to time, warriors die. But that's okay because God has put that sacrifice of self within the heart of man. I mean, think about what guys die for. I mean, think about the stupidity of gangs and turf wars. People are dying for trivial reasons. I'm telling you right now that if I were to get a group of guys in here and for some reason we get in a fight, it would go all the way to pride to somebody getting hit in the head and, you know, somebody dying for stupid reasons. Guys die. And they're not afraid to. So God says this, that heart to lay down your life, that heart to sacrifice yourself, all of that, I want you to pour every bit of that into loving your wife. You know, I don't think it seems fair. Women, submit to his authority. Guys, you got to die. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. But that's how much, that is how much God has called us as husbands to love the woman that God put into our lives. And here's the deal. I have never met a woman in my life that wouldn't be willing to take a step back and give that leadership role to him if he loved her the way Christ loved the church. It's the most beautiful relationship, and that is the plan. That is the standard for marriage, and that is, that is exactly what God has called us to do. Let me close with this. The Bible, 
has given us a plan. God has given us a plan for your marriage that goes beyond you. I want you to realize that today. That God has given you a plan for your marriage and your life that goes beyond you. Yes, he wants you to be happy. And he wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to experience affection and love and intimacy. But it goes beyond you. In fact, God wants to use your marriage to impact the world. And I think that so many times we lose sight of that. I think that we think that, you know, this is about me and my fulfillment. We lose sight that, man, we, of the fact that we need to keep it together and we need to grow and we need to work things out in our marriage because God has a plan for this marriage. God has a plan for my marriage and God has a plan for the church that's going to impact our city and our world. And it's not in just this, in this generation. It needs to impact our kids and the next generation. So that means that you need to submit your will to God and you need to submit to each other for the sake of what God is trying to do in your life. The thing is, if you will do that, God will not only bless your marriage, but he'll bless people through your marriage. And one of these days you'll be sitting on, a, on the end of a sofa like this couple and you'll be laughing in love and talking about how you met. How you thought that she was going to weigh 250 pounds, but... Since you did, it made it a little bit better, but it didn't matter because I was lonely. <laughs> God has a plan for you if you'll submit to it. Let me pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, I'll thank, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today and for speaking to us, Lord. And I pray that even now you'll confront us even where we are right now. And Lord, whatever needs to be surrendered to you. We have a plan, we have a desire, we have a will. But Lord, if that is not pleasing to you, help us to sacrifice our will for our lives. For the wonderful life that you have for us. May we be sensitive to how you would speak to us. We're not here to condemn. We're not here to point fingers. We are here to read your word and study your word so if we need to change, we will be open to change. And I specifically pray, Lord, for every marriage that is here. Father, I pray that you will speak to people, Lord, if, if, if their marriage is on the rocks, if it's having problems, if there's struggles, if there's situations. Right now, if you're seated with your husband or your wife or somebody you love, take them by the hand. Take him by the hand right now. And let me pray for your marriage. Lord, I pray for every marriage. Strengthen our homes. If there is unforgiveness, may we address it, Lord. If there's anger, if there's hurt, Lord, may we address it. We're not trying to force anything on anybody, Lord, but you gave us a partner. You gave us a husband. You gave us a wife to walk through this life together. And Father, we want God's best for our families. May we put our marriages as a priority. May we be open to what, how, what you want to change in our lives. May we be receptive to this. Lord, now is not a time to be stubborn. But may we open up our hearts to receive the change and the blessing that you have for all of us today. In the name of Jesus. If you receive that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, and he is not Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you can say, Travis, I've never surrendered my life to Christ, and today I want to do that. Or maybe you can say, Travis, 
I walked away from God at some point in my life, and as I'm here today, God is leading me to come home. Or maybe your story is different. I don't know what your story is, but if you can say something like that, you know that you're not right with God. I want to pray a prayer at this moment that you can come home to God. I won't single you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand. You're not going to walk any aisles. Nothing like that. You're just going to be seated right where you are, and we're going to pray the exact same way that we prayed. But just for my sake, so I know I'm praying for people, will you let me know that you're going to pray with you? If you can say, Travis, if you'll pray that prayer, I'm going to pray it right now with you, and I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm with you on that. If you can say that, Travis, go ahead and pray it. I'm going to pray it with you. Real quickly, slip your hand up. It's slipping down. Anybody say that? That's me, Travis. I'm just going to wait a few moments, and I'm going to move on. I saw your hand over here on the right. Anybody else? One more time, I'm going to ask, I might have missed somebody. So any, anybody else that can say that, Travis, I'm going to give my life to Christ today, and I want you to pray that prayer with me quickly. Okay, we're going to pray, and as we pray, I don't know if I saw everybody's hand. I'm pretty sure we got, had a couple people raise their hands, but if you raised your hand, say this prayer with us. Mean it with all of your heart. Come home to God today as we pray. Everybody repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today, and I give you my life. Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean. My life is yours from now on. Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. <laughs>